I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Settings 197. Well, y'all know what? It's been so damn long since we've had an intro in one of these Sinister Settings. I bet y'all, if you just started listening to the podcast, you don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. So on Patreon, if you're at, like, I think at the $10 tier and up, one of the rewards that it comes with is that you can create an intro for one of the Sinister Sightings. You can do whatever. You can be like, hey, I'm blah, 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 and you're listening to blah, blah, blah. Or you could be like, you know, very fancy and something I can't think of because I'm not creative. But if you want to do that, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. All right, the first one. Hey, Donna and Carrie. Just wanted to start off by saying I truly love the podcast and the friendship you two have. You make me nearly pee myself laughing constantly and your laughs get me through my day at the greenhouse conservatory I work at. For now, I'll be telling you a story about my friend and her paranormal experience at my house. You can use our names in this story. My name is Anna and my friend's name is Bree. For some context, Bree has always been someone with a close connection to the spirit world. Her whole life, she has seen and felt spirit's presence, and with her kind of intuitive personality, I'm not surprised. Bree had grown very close to my older sister as well as my younger sister and I. She quickly became like family and would sleep over often. This night, Bree was the only person awake at her house as she's a night owl. She went downstairs into our kitchen and sat at the table to write some music. Bree's always been a talented singer and songwriter, and she always says once something's in her head, she has to write it down. As she was writing at the table, she got a bit of an odd feeling like she wasn't alone. As she looked up from the kitchen table, she met eyes with a woman standing at the other end of the table. The woman was young, in her early 20s it seemed, and she had deep brown hair and eyes and was wearing what looked like purple satin pajamas. Bree said the woman looked back at her and seemed just as shocked to see another person. They both looked away, and when Bree looked again, the woman was gone. About a week or so after, Bree told me what happened. I sat there in shock. What Bree didn't know was my grandma had passed away only a year before Bree met us. My grandparents had lived in my house the last two years of their lives, and they both died peacefully in my house. Bree never got to meet either of them, and she didn't know anything about them. My grandmother had brown hair and brown eyes, and her favorite color? Purple. And she loved soft fabrics, especially soft and cozy PJs that she wore often. After showing Bree a picture of my grandmother, she confirmed it and said, yeah, that's who I saw. We were amazed she had seen my grandmother, a woman who she did not get to meet and did not know anything about. This is a fond memory of mine, as I hope my grandma got a giggle out of it, as did Bree after the fact. Thank you both for reading my story. I'll promise I'll send in more sinister sightings in the future, both criminal and paranormal. Thank you, ladies, for the great podcast. Lots of love from Rhode Island, the smallest of the states. Anna. Okay, before you said that about your grandma and, like, you showed the picture to Bree, I was like, oh, my God, because you said that the spirit seemed just as surprised. And I was like, was that some weird, like, glitch in the Matrix where, like, the past saw the future and the future saw the future or whatever? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Was that some weird time glitch in the Matrix or something? But I mm, guess not. <laughs> That's really cool when you get validation mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, like, oh, that could have been her because A, B, and C. But then, like, when you show them and they're like, no, that really was her. That's really cool. I don't think any women in my family ever wore pajamas. They always wore moo's. Really? Mm-hmm. I guess I shouldn't say any women, but like my mom, moo's. My nanny, moo's. My nana, moo's. And well, like night dresses, I guess yeah. I should say. Like the silky kind of yes. night dresses you get from Walmart that used to be like $12. My grandma wore them, but she was a little more bougie. She would get them from, like, 
um, J.C. Penney, oh, McRae's, yeah. you know, she had the silky nightgown and then had the little robe that buttoned up uh-huh, or zipped yes. up to. Mine was always buttoned, like the ones I would get them. Mm-hmm. It was like little uh, metallic buttons. Yeah. I guess, honestly, it was more like snaps. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, the next one. Piece of shit professors. Tanya Rose again, back with the professor stories promised at the end of my last edition of Sinister Sightings. It's a slow day at work, so I finally have time to type all these out. I've only been meaning to do it, you know, four months. Anywho, let me preface both of these with trigger warnings for sexual assault against both adults and children. I guess I should also include a trigger warning for suicide. I apologize in advance to anyone who may find these stories troubling. Both of these stories take place at the college I graduated from. I will not tell you the name of the college, but I will tell you that it's a very small, very private school that has a reputation in the past for covering things up, including what I'm about to tell you. For this first story, we're taking it back to 2009, my sophomore year in college, and the same year I met Lily, for those who remember her story. She comes into play in this story as well. The college had just hired a new professor of sociology, and the students around campus were buzzing about how awesome he was and how involved he seemed to be with the issues on campus, including a disturbing number of sexual assaults that had recently been happening. This was such a topic of concern that the women's studies class I was in at the time was trying to put together some sort of action plan to address it, which included inviting the new sociology professor to come and discuss the ways he thought he might be able to help. So the day of his class visit comes. He joins us for class and a discussion starts about how alarming all of this is for the female students and how nobody feels safe walking alone at night, even in the well-lit areas of campus. He sits and listens intently, taking notes, asking all kinds of questions about the assault statistics, if the college has been successful in finding any of the attackers, etc., etc. My internal alarm bells are going off about this guy, but I can't figure out why. Something just seems off to me about him, but the class thinks he is genuinely concerned about what's happening and wants to help find a real way to address the ongoing issue. So the conversation continues and he leaves at the end of class armed with an arsenal of information about how the college has been responding or not responding to these attacks. A few weeks later, Lily, who was a sociology major and had this professor for the majority of her classes, tells me about one night how he made her feel really uncomfortable during a meeting they had in his office. She told me he was way too up in her personal space, that he kept trying to put his hand on her leg, and that she thought at one point he was going to try to kiss her, but she was able to get out of the meeting without anything too nefarious happening. Not long after that, another student, who worked for me at this time, told me the same professor attacked her one night in his car. They had gone to a sociology event at a nearby college with a couple of other students, and everyone had ridden together in the professor's car since it was just a few of them going. He dropped off the other students at the end of the night, and it was just this student and the professor alone in his car as he went towards her dorm to drop her off last. But instead of dropping her off, he attacked her. He had engaged the child lock on the car so she wasn't able to get the door open from the inside and was trapped. He pinned her up against the door and started kissing her. She tried to get away from him and he eventually stopped, but only because someone came out of her dorm and saw that there was something going on that shouldn't be. 
I told her and Lily they both needed to report him, but they didn't, knowing that their claims wouldn't be taken seriously. After all, this was a cool, new, involved professor who wanted to help end all of the attacks. He got away with it for a while, until another student was raped. That student did report it, and because of the very visible injuries that she had, her report was taken seriously. I watched him get escorted off campus in handcuffs the day he was arrested. But remember those notes I said he was taking in class? That disgusting, calculating motherfucker came to our class to gather information so he would know what he could and could not get away with. He came to our class and to our college specifically to prey on vulnerable young women from a position of power. It was later found out that he had been released from his previous teaching position for similar accusations, but those were not known to my college when they hired him. Last I knew, he's still in prison. The last story is about a professor I worked with closely for the entire four years I was in college. Not only was he my favorite professor, he was also the head of the department I majored in and my academic advisor. I saw him every day. Not once did I ever suspect anything about the monster lurking within him, and I am usually really good at reading people and their intentions. I graduated from college in 2011, and the news of this story came out in 2017, I think, maybe 2018. Regardless, it's been within the last few years. I don't know exactly what or how it transpired, but it was discovered that this professor not only had a huge stash of child porn on his college-issued work computer, but had been abusing multiple kids for years. Looking back at it now, I can only assume this was probably a huge reason why his wife, who was the dean of the college, by the way, divorced him while I was still in school. He was arrested and held without bond. While he was awaiting trial, he died by suicide in his jail cell, and the aerial Castro-ness of it all pisses me off so much. This monster abused innocent children for years, but wouldn't face the consequences when it came time for him to answer for his crimes. I still can't believe I never suspected anything about him and his vileness in all that time I spent with him in those four years. It just goes to show you how good people are at hiding their true colors and is also a huge reason why I don't trust anyone. Until next time, creep it real and fuck those pieces of shit. Much love, Tanya Rose. So somebody messaged me one of the stories I did and said that it's actually not called child pornography anymore. It's called child sexual abuse images because pornography like gives it the connotation that it's consensual and like it can't be consensual Ooh, with a kid yeah. but that's just really been hard for me to remember i get that but yeah that's way better actually yeah yeah not like calling you out for saying child pornography but it just something that came to my mind because i had done it in a story not too long ago and i was like oh shit i don't even never even heard of that you know yeah it's so hard when someone is so well liked by so many people then you find out that they're actually a fucking monster yeah and then you also kind of blame yourself, like, how could you have not known? But they had been hiding it for years mm -hmm. and nobody knew. So why would you have known as his student, not in the inner circle? You know what I mean? Yeah. If his wife even did know. You, I mean, we don't know that's why she divorced him. We don't right. even know that she knew that. Because I feel like if she did, like, why wouldn't she have turned him in? Because if she did and didn't turn him in, I mean, she could be complicit and yeah. charged herself, I bet. So hopefully that isn't why she divorced him. 
I don't understand people who look at porn, any porn, on their work-issued computers because all of that is stored. Like, I know there's like, you can erase blah, 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 blah. But if you're not like the network technician and administrator, all the things, if you ever quit or you're fired, they will find those files. You know, and that's the thing, too. It's the um, Dr. Death of it all with him being hired at that school and not knowing that he was let go because of all those allegations, Mm -hmm. you know, because the schools want to hide it so that they don't get sued. And it's like, okay, well, you can only hide it for so long before people start figuring out and then you really are going to get sued because you hit it. Nothing makes me more mad than that, honestly, because you've done several stories where it's usually in the medical field, and they just push people around like that. The good nurse that is that movie about that guy who mm-hmm. would just kill people, just kill his patients. Like, oops, I think he put insulin or something in their, their like drip bag. Girl, there's been so many I can't even keep up. Right. But it's just like, oh, yeah, when you go back through it, he's just been pushed to a different thing. And they're like, oh, no, he's fine. He's Mm -hmm. fine. Oh, well, we had to fire him because he missed a Tuesday when, you know, and it was just like the most asinine reason Mm -hmm. that they could get away with. And I'm like, fuck you, dude. You knew what was happening and you didn't want to take a hit for whatever reason. It's like people mean more than that. Yeah. It's a fucking life. Yep. And I understand that there there's some legality in like what a previous employer can and can't say, you know, as far as like, oh, we we let him go or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, I also know that people fucking talk. So Mm -hmm. I also, though, think about the flip side of that. Like, let's just say that those professors weren't shit humans. How do you, as a professor, where you have to have one-on-one meetings with students like that, how do you protect yourself, but also their privacy so that you're not having, like, you're not leaving your door open so other people could hear you talking about their failing grade, but also so that they're not coming back and being like, well, they did something inappropriate. You know what I mean? And you're protecting yourself because you can't just set up a camera and keep it recording forever right you know i mean eventually you're gonna run out of fucking storage because you never know who and when yeah you know all of my college professors who were male kept their door open when i was in their uh office but anyone who was a female we shut it yeah but i mean it's just like going to the gynecologist Mm -hmm. like even a female gynecologist is gonna have a nurse in there yeah legally i think they have to yeah you know you can't just be like oh well they're a female so right but I'm just saying, like, looking back on that, that is, yeah. you know, that was it. Like, oh, that open door. But if you're at the end of the hall, it doesn't matter. Or, yeah, or no if one's you're there. the only one in. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking about like one of the programs that I went to, the professor's office was like in the middle of this main room. But if no students are there, no students are there. It's like inside the classroom. So the classroom yeah. door shut, you're inside the classroom, and then you have the office within the classroom. There, There's literally, if nobody's right. there, nobody's there. Yeah. So truly, how do you protect yourself against that? I don't know. But these people were vile humans and they really were doing all the things. It really makes you just look at everyone and be like, do I know you? You don't. Okay, the next one. The Awakening. I would like to remain anonymous. Hey, ladies. Hope y'all's day's going well. From a young age, I knew that I was different than others. I'd been having experiences with the supernatural, paranormal, and true crime since I was old enough to know about scary stories and criminals. Things just seemed to find my family and I. 
I want to share an experience that I had that's not exactly paranormal, but it definitely wasn't normal. This is going to be a long one, so please bear with me. Picture it. September 2021. It's a Tuesday night, and I'm having a blast at the bar, line dancing with my friends. It's time to head home, and I live about an hour away. I'll admit I probably shouldn't have been driving, but I did. Something in my mind told me to make sure I put my seatbelt on, and I'm so glad that I did. I was 30 minutes away from my house when it happened. Now, I can't exactly remember what happened, but somehow I ran off the road. I would also like to add, this is a tiny little back road, and I was driving a big lifted Jeep with mud tires that like to grab the sides of the road by themselves. I hit three trees. I know it knocked me out, but I'm not sure for how long. When I came to, I went to call 911, but I could already hear the sirens coming towards me. While I was knocked out, I could feel someone shaking my shoulder, trying to wake me up. No one was in the Jeep with me. I was completely by myself. That's when I saw her in my mind. I could see my Aunt M violently shaking me, telling me to wake up and get out of the Jeep. I don't remember crying, but when I woke up, I had tears running down my face. It felt so real as if I could reach out and touch her. I could hear her voice so clearly, feel her hands on my shoulders and left arm. Remember this detail for later. Now for the backstory of my Aunt M. In August 2019, my aunt suffered from an incident which eventually caused her kidneys to fail. 80 long days later, she died. When I found out that she was sick, I did not handle it very well at all. I would drink to numb the pain. I stopped caring about school. I lashed out at anyone that confronted me about it, and I would not admit I had a problem. I did not know until months later the reason for her kidney failure was alcohol. I felt guilty for putting my family through one of my heavy drinking phases. Once I finally admit to myself I had problems, my life started to turn around. I wanted to do something special in remembrance of my Aunt M, and she loved tattoos and wild crazy things. I decided to get a tattoo for her on my left arm that is soon going to be turned into a big memorial piece for all my past loved ones and my spirituality. When I wrecked, I was going through another one of my drinking phases. I thought my life was shit. A few months before, I came out to my family and received a lot of backlash from them. I was about to start the process for my dream job, but I injured myself a month before my physical testing date. I was struggling with my mental health and drinking just about every night to cope with my feelings, much like my Aunt M before she passed. I get chills whenever I think about that night. This is also usually followed by crying and missing one of my biggest supporters in my life. Since then, I started to learn my limitations and control my drinking a lot better than I used to. I cut myself off at one mixed drink or two beers if I absolutely have to drive, which doesn't happen very often, and by very often, I mean it's happened twice since my wreck. Thank you ladies so much for creating this amazing, welcoming community. I have so many more experiences to share with y'all. Creep it real and don't get scared. Much love, Nameless. That is so scary, and I'm so glad you're okay from that wreck. But I also want to be like super fucking nosy. And did you get a DUI from that? Oh, because you wrecked and they had to come. Mm-hmm. Like, also very glad you're safe. But like, nosy Rosie over here got to know the details. <laughs> we have switched roles here, but I'm here for it. Also, I want to see your sleeve that you're working on. But I've always wondered how that works. Like, you're a single vehicle accident, but you know, it's just for my my knowledge. <laughs> and if I'm gonna ask for asking, I'm sorry but I still want to know. (laughs) You know, a lot of people say that if they have like a bad wreck that they do feel someone there with them. Mm -hmm. 
And maybe that was her way of being like, hey, don't do what I did. Yeah, take care of yourself and be safe. Mm -hmm. Okay, the next one. Hey, ladies, I've written before a couple of times and wanted to share another true crime story. I'm not really sure if it's true crime, but it's close enough. Also, I write like I speak. Picture it, 1987, rural Georgia, beginning of summer. Well, I can tell you, you write like Donna doesn't speak. (laughs) My mom, who had me at 17, and my brother right before she turned 20, was home alone with me. We are originally from West Virginia, and my brother was there visiting family. My dad worked night shift. My mom would work days, he would work nights, so they didn't need childcare. Anyway, it was very hot and humid. We didn't have air conditioning, we weren't that fancy, and were a little above dirt poor. We had a box fan in the window of my parents' room, and I was in bed with my mom. We were there alone. My mom, 22 years old, home alone with her 5-year-old, in the middle of nowhere. We only had one car, and my dad had it at work. Around 2 in the morning, we were awoken by a woman banging on our door. She was screaming for someone to help her. She was naked, covered in scratches, blood, and she had the beginnings of two black eyes. She had bald spots where it looked like someone had pulled out her hair. She kept screaming that they were coming to get her. My mom was terrified. My mom grabs my dad's hunting rifle that she's never used before. She armed it, placed me directly behind her in a chair, and went to the front door. The woman was still screaming, for the love of God, please let me in. My mom told her no. She said she was here alone with her baby and she wouldn't open the door. She told the woman she was armed with a gun and she told the woman to sit down by the door and she would call the sheriff. If someone came to get her before then, she would shoot them. My mom called the sheriff and explained what happened. This was BFE Georgia in the 80s. You had to wait for someone to get to you. About 20 minutes passed of the lady crying and screaming and begging to come inside when they saw headlights coming down the dirt road. The woman screamed and took off running, screaming that they were here. My mom cocked the rifle and was prepared to use it. It turned out to be a couple of deputies. They came to the house and my mom explained what happened. They set off with flashlights to find the woman. They eventually found her hiding in some weeds a field over from our house. They wrapped her in a blanket and loaded her in the car. They came to tell my mom not to worry. As it turns out, the woman had been entertaining some men in their garage when their wives came home. They beat the snot out of that woman. She was covered in scratches where she had been running through the woods and filled naked in the dark. My mom still tells this story some 35 years later. She had only ever been that scared one other time in her life. She's still yet to shoot a rifle, but she says she'd have figured it out if she needed to. Thanks for sharing my story. Keep it real, you beautiful creepsters. Christy. What the hell? Holy crap. I don't know why I was expecting, like, oh, she just, like, escaped a mental institution or something. Like, I was not expecting her to actually be running from something. Yeah. She wasn't lying. They were coming, you know, and they did get her. Gosh. I mean, like, was she a sex worker? Or was I, I she don't just, know. Yeah. Like, hooking up with some dudes. I feel like she was a sex worker, though. If she was, like, entertaining men in their garage. Yeah. And then their wives came home. Did, but don't beat her. Like, yeah. see, that's the thing. Don't beat her. Your husband brought her in. Your yes. husband made that decision. That's not on her. Right. Girl just trying to feed her family or what, even if yeah. you know she's a sex worker or not. Like, 
your husband's the one that's married, not mm-hmm. her. So 100%. Is it a good decision if she knew that they were married? No. But ultimately, that's on your fucking husband. Yeah. I don't know why people instantly go and get angry at the person that was the cheaty. Yes. I think it's just because you, I don't know, you love that person so much that you, you, you can't reconcile that level of anger with them. So you have to put it somewhere and it's on the person that you don't know. Yeah. Or even if you do know them, like it's not your spouse. I don't know. That's my best Psych 101 guess, I'm sure. <laughs> I've never been in that position, thankfully. You know that was scary as shit, though. Someone coming and banging on your door like oh that when gosh. you're by yourself. The only thing I would have done different is I wouldn't have told her I was there by myself. Yeah. Because I'm telling you, I learned some shit from that Bitch Bible podcast. Because one time she said that when she goes, because she travels out of the country a lot by herself. And she was saying, like, every time she goes somewhere, she never tells them. She's by herself, like, when she's in a cab, like, and they're like, oh, are you here? Is this your first time ever? Like, she always pretends like she's been there forever and so that they're not taking her on, like, side streets where they Mm -hmm. shouldn't be taking her and her not realize it. Like, she makes them think she knows the city. And when she checks into the hotel, she never says she's by herself. She always asks for two keys. Yeah. So that they don't, they won't know that she's by herself. I was like, oh, that's so fucking smart. Yeah, that really is. I remember you talking about her doing the two keys. Well, that sounds like she's doing drugs, but. (laughs) (laughs) Not two key lows. Yeah. That's all we know about drugs. Look, I didn't know what the devil's lettuce was. (laughs) We know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I know nothing. Like, legit. Well, then I just was like, wait, it is kilos. I don't think they say keys. (laughs) God, I don't know. (laughs) Okay, the next one. Hey, ladies, your fellow weirdo writing in. This time, I want to share some spooky stories about my childhood friend's old home. We're from Reading, Pennsylvania. Me and C have been friends since we were both about 11 and 12 years old. Now, we're both 25 and 26. She used to live in the city, and pretty much all the homes in the city are old and have history. So, being the age we were, we used to always have sleepovers, and I basically lived there sometimes. Her family was like a second family to me. C, being the youngest of a total of four sisters... Her house had three floors with a basement, and I'll say I never went down there in that creepy-ass basement. When you walked into the home, you entered the living room with a staircase on your left going up to the second floor. C used to have her room on the second floor, the same floor her parents' room was on, and then attached to the same hallway was another staircase that went up to the third floor where her two older sisters' bedroom was. The house always had activity in it, and plenty of times we'd be watching TV in the living room late at night and hear footsteps on the stairs leading up to the second floor. Her two big dogs would often stare or growl at nothing, too, but it seemed like the third floor had the most activity on it. At some point, her oldest sister moved out, so C moved up to the third floor to share the bedroom with her sister, Ash. Before that, they never had a vanity mirror up there, and when C moved, she brought her dresser up there with a large mirror attached to it. The dresser faced two beds on the opposite wall, so when laying in either of the beds, you could see the mirror. Shortly after that, the both of them started seeing glowing red or green eyes in the mirror. Creepy, right? Later on, in a couple of occasions, they both actually saw a full-on apparition of a man in the mirror, too. So, from then on, Ash always put a blanket over the mirror before she went to sleep. It scared the shit out of her, and she would refuse to go to sleep without the blanket. A lot of times when I slept over, we would stupidly ask the ghost of the house to make noise for us. 
We would then hear tapping noises or something of the sorts somewhere in the bedroom, but it would never show itself to us in the mirror like it did on other occasions. We did, however, often get woken up by loud and clear footsteps on the stairs and the doorknob jiggling at the front of the stairs. Sometimes shadowy apparitions would be seen, orbs, or even creepier, you'd wake up and feel the bed being shaken, like someone was grabbing the corner of the bed and shaking it, and you just have to lay there, dazed, being rocked back and forth like, um, please stop, I'm trying to sleep. Things sort of picked up around then, and on another night, C had been doing laundry, so her hamper that normally sat in front of those creepy crawl space doors wasn't there. So they had three of these doors in their bedroom, each with a deadbolt latch on them. One was on C's side of her bed, the other on Ash's side, and the third being on the opposite side of the room near the dresser with the mirror. C was woken up in the middle of the night to see that the door was slowly opening on its own. She heard a whispery, sinister voice whisper her name. Needless to say, she kicked that son bit shut and hightailed it out of there. That happened multiple times to C, just with hearing the voice, not the door opening. They eventually moved to another neighborhood, and we often talk about all the stories when everyone is all together. Just the other year, her mom admitted that she too had experiences. But all those years, she always told us it was probably something else when we were kids because she didn't want to freak us out more about the house. I'll have to get us all together at some point and send in more stories from the house, but I thought I'd write in and share a couple I have. Take care, ladies. Love you guys. Creep it real and don't get scared. Well, y'all were freaking playing with fire asking the ghosts to show themselves. Mm-hmm. I do not like mirrors like that. Oh, my gosh. I do not go into a dark bathroom because of a mirror. Yeah. Well, and I feel like they say that you're supposed to cover, like, mirrors and TVs even at night because those are, I don't know, windows into the soul or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they could be portals. That, yeah. Look, I don't always do a nighttime routine, okay? Like... You know what I mean? So if I'm like, oh, got to cover these, I'm not. My nighttime routine is I pee, I put water in both of our CPAPs, (laughs) and then I crawl into bed and sometimes play Candy Crush, sometimes just pass the fuck out. (laughs) That's my nightly routine. I ain't, oh, and then when I turn the TV on, I turn the sleep timer on, which I forget sometimes. I really need to use a sleep timer. And we all know how I feel about basements. Mm -hmm. As soon as I said that, I was like, well, Donna wouldn't be going in there No, 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 no. Also, three floors is a lot of... Well, it sounds like technically four if they've got a basement. Yeah. Also, you know what I was thinking about that whole time I was reading that, though, was like, why are ghosts always on the top floor? Is it because they're like me and they're lazy and they don't want to come back down? (laughs) I don't know. Like, they're not trying to go up and down, up and down, up and down, because that I can get behind. I don't know, because it is usually like attic or basement. Maybe like on Ghost, how he had to like muster up the power to move something. They Mm -hmm. don't want to muster up the power to do the stairs. I Uh, mean, I wouldn't. Yeah, I was going to say, again, me neither. Okay, the next one. Does she need an exorcism or is it just the Ambien? Hello, ladies. I have two stories. One relating to the exorcist and one Ambien story. I only remembered to send this in because I randomly decided to watch the original one from the 70s for the first time the other day. I will probably never look at pea soup or a crucifix again. I'm just saying. Anyways, so neither one of these stories are actually mine, but I've been given permission to share anyways. So for the first one, picture it. It's 1978 and The Exorcist is out in theaters. It's said to be the scariest movie of all time. People are leaving the theater early from fear. Some places are selling vomit bags with their ticket. And there are rumors of the film being cursed. 
So as you can guess, my dad, who was 21 years old, decides to go see the movie with one of his cousins because it can't be that bad, right? My dad says it was definitely, and I quote, a freaky movie and nothing like he had seen before. But he just thought of it as any other scary movie. It's fake. It's fine. Whatevs, right? After the movie, his cousin dropped him off, who later admits to having nightmares for three nights in a row. Dad walks into his little studio apartment. It's late when he gets home, so he sits on the side of the bed and starts to take off his boots. He then lays down on his back across the bed and closes his eyes for just a minute, it seemed. He was tired because he had been up since early morning and had worked all day and they had caught the late movie, so he didn't get home until after 12. He was thinking of work and what needed to be done come Monday, seeing if my mom, his then-girlfriend, or her brothers wanted to go see the movie. He swears he was fully awake. Finally, he decides he needs to finish getting ready for bed, and when he opens his eyes, he is only an inch from his ceiling, just floating in midair. He couldn't move. He wanted to look around the room to see if it was real, but he just couldn't move. He squeezed his eyes tight and said the Lord's Prayer quickly, and when he peeked with one eye open, he was laying horizontally, like he normally would, head on his pillow, on his back, but not where he was originally laying. He said, skirt, not today, Satan, and hauled ass out of there. He said that was the first and only time as a grown man he was so scared, he ran to his daddy's house and slept on his couch. My papa told him he probably just dozed off, but my dad says he knows he was awake and will never forget it, and he has not watched that movie or any remake since. When I told him I was watching the movie, he told me in the most genuine fatherly way to be careful. Luckily, nothing freaky happened afterwards. Okay, so this is the Ambien story. I've never taken Ambien personally, but I have a friend who has. Hopefully I can do it justice because to hear her husband tell it will leave you crying with laughter. So my friend, I'll call her Kim for privacy reasons. Kim was having some different health issues and on a lot of medications that was making it hard for her to sleep. So after talking to her doctor, they prescribed Ambien. They told her the same thing they do most, which is to make sure there's someone there to keep an eye on her. So anyway, she took it that night and went to sit on the couch and unwind before bed. And that's the last thing she remembers. However, her husband knows all, considering he worked the night shift at the time. And so when he was off, he normally just stayed up all night. He was in a different room playing video games and needed new batteries for his controller. He walked into the living room and sees she's still up and he says, Are you still up? I thought you'd be in bed by now. Yeah, she replies, I'm just watching True Blood, which isn't what she was watching at all, but he didn't notice that yet. Have you seen the batteries? Jake asks. They're in the freezer, Kim replies. Wait, what? No, the batteries, Jake says again. Maybe she misheard him. Yeah, they're in the freezer. Now, either she's messing with him or dot, dot, dot. He grabs a flashlight and shines it in her face. You're not watching True Blood, he realizes. Her eyes are open, but there's no expression. Uh, Kim, are you awake? Of course I am. She responds and gives him a what the fuck look. Jake asks again, okay, where are the batteries then? Kim, ugh, do I have to do everything? She gets up, walks to the kitchen, and grabs a bag of chicken tenders from the freezer, preheats the oven to 350, and asks, do you want the pepperoni or the cheese ones? (laughs) Jake, are you fucking with me right now? That's chicken tenders. 
Kim proceeds to put the chicken tenders back into the freezer. Well, what do you want to do for dinner then? She asks, aggravated. Jake, it's 2 a.m. I don't want dinner. No response. Kim just stands in the kitchen for at least five minutes with just a blank expression. Jake says he was a little afraid to say or do anything else because it had to be the ambient and he had already aggravated her and she was too close to the knives. Eventually, she just walked into their bedroom, crawled into bed, and that was it. She said that she hasn't taken it since. I'd say she was out of it. <laughs> if that doesn't sound like you, getting aggravated like, oh, But then I'm completely wrong. Yes. Yeah, you know what? You don't know me. Uh-huh. I just love also that she was doing chicken tenders, but ask if he wanted the pepperoni or the cheese. Yes. So you know, she thought it was pizza rolls. <laughs> and he's like, I just need double A batteries. Yeah. Also, though, can you put batteries in the freezer? I feel like that was a thing. Um, Maybe not. I don't know. Something that made it last longer. Oh, maybe that's bread. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I don't know. I feel like don't put batteries in the freezer. I feel like that's an explosion waiting to happen. Oh, probably. So maybe don't follow Donna's rules. <laughs> but if we're wrong, tell us. But I'm pretty sure you don't you sh- do not do that. Yeah, probably not. Also, I agree with your grandfather that your dad probably just dozed off. Mm-hmm. You know? Because even, like, if I doze off in a certain position, like, if I just, like, was sitting there and I kind of fell asleep, mid-sleep, I will get to my right position. Yeah. Okay, the next one. Soulmates. Hey ladies, it's been a while since I've emailed y'all, so I thought it was time to tell y'all my story of my soulmate, and you could definitely use my name. Sorry if this is a little long, it felt long while typing it. First, a little backstory. I'm the only girl who grew up with three boys, my brother Jimmy, and my two cousins Jay and Jeremy, who might as well have been my brothers as we were all so close. Jeremy and I were always very close, even when we went through a rough patch and didn't speak for months. I was still always thinking about him. One day, my mother was over at my aunt's house, hanging out with her and my cousins. I called her out of nowhere and said, you know, I was thinking I really think Jeremy is my soulmate. Most people think of their soulmates as their lovers, but I think anyone you have a deep connection to can be your soulmate. Anyway, I said, Jeremy and I have always had this connection, and I feel we were meant to be family. She said, oh my God, and I was like, what? And she said, Jeremy just said the same thing to her almost verbatim 30 minutes before I called. I just had to laugh and say, see, I told you. Well, about a month later, my heart was crushed. On Christmas Eve 2009, Jeremy drowned in a hot tub and passed away. I was devastated. I just felt lost. I dreamt about him every night. One night, I dreamt that he told me everyone grieves in their own way, but I will always be with you. It felt so real, like it was really him. Side note, I always seem to know when it's a visitation versus just a dream. My dad passed away on my birthday in 2018. I had a dream about him and could feel and smell him. I know it was him visiting. Then my brother Jimmy passed away June 2021 and same thing. Dreamt of him and I bawled my eyes out in my dream and screamed, finally, I've been waiting for you. Anyway, back to Jeremy. So I had that dream and again every night for three months I dreamt of him. One day, I was talking to a friend from work, someone I met years after he died, who has abilities. And she said, did someone you know die very young? I said, yes. She described him and I said, yeah, that's my cousin. She said, you are holding him here and you need to let him go. I was shocked. I had no idea that may be why I always dreamt of him. That night, of course, I dreamt of him. 
I walked in the house and my aunt was there and I said, what are you doing here? She said, I came for him. Just then, Jeremy walking in the house behind me. I said to him, you can't be here. I'm holding you here and I have to let you go. I love you. With that, he flew up to the ceiling, spun around a couple of times and vanished. I've not dreamed of him since. It's crazy to know that my broken heart stopped him from moving on. I miss him, my brother, and my dad so much. I just hope they're partying while they wait for the rest of us. Love you, crazy girls. Crystal from New Jersey. Wow, I am so sorry for all of your loss. Gosh, that is so much just in such a short period of time. Yeah, and I 100% agree with you that soulmates aren't just like in a romantic way. I believe Mm -hmm. in friend soulmates, and I definitely believe my mom was my soulmate. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's scary to think that we could be the people like holding someone back. I guess I never thought about that. Like, yeah, like if they were still here, you know, because like if they were still here to comfort you. Yeah. And stuff like that, you know, and so it's not like we're like, can't go anywhere, you know, or whatever. But But they feel like they can't leave you because you'd be so distraught. Yeah. I didn't think about that either. Okay. The last one, my sleep paralysis story. Hey, y'all, listening to the different stories of sleep paralysis on the podcast reminded me of my similar experience. My family and I were driving to visit my aunt in Virginia when I fell asleep in the car. I'm a baby and will pass out immediately if I'm not the one driving. Oh, okay. So your name's Donna? You don't know me at all. Uh, do. <laughs> Tiffany's listening going, uh-huh. It's because I don't play on my phone. Mm-hmm. And the headrest just feels so good. Mm-hmm. I don't remember much about the beginning of the dream, but I do remember this. I was in hell for whatever reason, and the devil was standing in front of me. I remember trying to wake up and trying to move my body and close my mouth because it was hanging wide open, but I couldn't move. I remember trying to call for help, but I couldn't make words come out. I hear a man's voice say, you're mine, before I snap out of it. I had never suffered from sleep paralysis before, and I haven't since that day. Side story, Donna's Black Eyed Kids story freaked me the fuck out. Ever since that story, I've been looking out of the glass on the front porch to make sure nothing's out there. One night, I was talking to my boyfriend about y'all's podcast, and I heard a knock at the door. All I could get out of my mouth was, nope, before I ran into my room and hid in my bed and my closet. I didn't even stop to warn my boyfriend to not answer the door. (laughs) Y'all, one of my dang cats had kicked over something. I was 100% getting ready to leave this man and make him fend for himself. I love everything y'all do. Keep it up, Kara. Your poor boyfriend was like, what the hell? Right? (laughs) Also, she fucked us all up with that fucking black-eyed kid (laughs) bullshit. Well, if I had to know about it, y'all had to know about it. I'm sorry, that's just how it is. Yeah, it's, that's fucked up. It's like when you r- smell like a really bad cologne or something, and you're like, here, smell this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not the same. <laughs> the cologne's not going to come into your house and take your soul. Well, you have to invite them in. I mean, they might, you know, put you in a trance and exactly. will you to do that, but... And also, fuck sleep paralysis, man. That shit's scary as shit. It is so scary. Did anyone hear you mumble or say anything? That's what's scary, too, is like... I don't know. I guess because it reminds me of like Freddy Krueger because the people watching you. Well, I know like eventually they watched you like get, you know, flung up to the ceiling and all the things. But Mm -hmm. like you're just like, oh, she's finally getting some sleep that she needs. And meanwhile, you're running through the high school and long arm Freddy's like doing his nails against the lockers. Right. (sighs) But even think about like just at dinner tonight, 
Colby said that he thinks that I need to get my CPAP looked at because I snore and talk in my sleep with my CPAP on, yeah. right? Who knew that I was ever going to be so open about my CPAP? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not me. But anyway. <laughs> but just think, if I was really in sleep paralysis, he would just be like, oh man, she's talking in her sleep again. <laughs> like, I'd be fucked. <laughs> He'd be fighting for your fucking life. And Colby's like, huh, what'd she say? Nothing? Okay. Let me film her real quick. <laughs> like, that is so true. <laughs> she didn't believe she snores. Let me get this on camera. <laughs> I was looking through, trying to find something. I don't even know what I was trying to find. Oh, a picture that I had sent, like, seriously two years ago mm-hmm. to y'all in WhatsApp. Because that's what we use because Tiffany doesn't have an iPhone. Just saying. Just throwing a little shade there. <laughs> and by little, we mean a lot. Well, it's just like the group thing just doesn't work if someone doesn't have an iPhone. It's not the same. Anyway, but we've used WhatsApp for, God, like... Literally forever. Yeah. So I was looking through my media, and I saw a video that Carrie had taken of Colby snoring on the couch. And I was like, God, now they both have CPAPs and stuff. Like, what a difference. Well, besides you, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, apparently. I just keep on keeping on. (laughs) Nothing's going to hold Carrie back. You know, I have issues with authority. I'm like, you're not the boss of me, CPAP. I'll snore if I won't. Oh, gosh. Well, thank y'all so much for sending in all these stories. If you want your story read on an episode, send it in at aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.